Hello, and welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current topics with leading members of the Bay Area investment community. This week, Tanya Subatang, Senior Membership Manager with CFA Society San Francisco, sits down with Michael Firestone, CFA, Founder and Managing Partner for Fire Capital Management. Listen in as they discuss starting your own business. Good morning, Michael. Great to see you. Hey, Tanya. Good to see you too. I am so, so excited that you are on our podcast today. I'm really excited about our conversation. Are you ready? Absolutely. I'm very excited and grateful for the opportunity to speak with you. So, Michael, you are the managing partner at Fire Capital. And I wanted to talk to you about today about entrepreneurship and kind of venturing out your own. Because the thing I love about your story is that you actually had started your career and wasn't with a company that was one of the largest and well-established firms. And then a few years ago, you decided to venture off on your own. I mean, that's a pretty scary jump, especially um, at a very young age, you know, based on um, most entrepreneurs going in their career. What was the motivation and inspiration for you to make such a transition? Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a really good question. And I think it's kind of like investments, right? In markets, it's everyone wants to know that one thing, right? That kind of forces you into doing something interesting or different or taking that leap of faith. But rarely is it just one thing, right? So, I mean, I think for me, probably starting from the beginning makes sense and then kind of leading into that. But, you know, I, I'm a Korean American. You know, I, I was born in South Korea, but I was adopted when I was about three months old. And, uh, you know, I don't, actually don't even know my full story as to why or how, but, you know, I kind of make some assumptions along the way. I just remember my mom being sick for a really, really long time. Right. So my, my adopted mother was sick for a really, really long time. And, um, you know, unfortunately I lost both of my parents before I turned 16. So, you know, I, I think through that experience and just kind of living, I guess, most of my young life with a lot of uncertainty, you know, a lot of hardship and, and, you know, granted, there are a lot of other people who have had much harder upbringings, much, much tougher times than I did. But you, you kind of take those experiences and they're, they're kind of ingrained in you. And I think going through that at a young age, it, it teaches you some things or it ingrains some things in you that just makes makes you who you are. You know, I, I, I think of three things really that I, I really lean on. And um, those three things... I think it might be the theme of my story in this podcast overall is ultimately there's so many bad things, negative things that happen from time to time in your life, but they can also be positive things too. And for me to say that, you know, going through tough times when I was a kid, losing my parents super young, never knowing my biological parents, all those different things and everything in between, I actually turned out to be a positive thing. Maybe it's mentality, but some of it's real, right? So I think one thing that I picked up super early on, and, and maybe this is somewhat of a, a skill or a trait or something like that, right? But just being adaptable, you know, like I lived in a lot of different places, had a lot of different people in my life, a lot of uncertainty. And I think that really benefited me because in the work that I do now, in the people I deal with, in my leadership role now, uh, adaptability is critical. The other thing that I would mention is that just thinking through what I went through, thinking through how I felt at the time. I think having a high level of empathy for people is absolutely critical in what we do. If you don't care about your clients, you don't care about their families, you don't care about their lives, you're just not going to be that good at what you do. Some people can skate by with other skills, but the reality is, is that you have to care. 
And you have to look at things from other people's perspectives. And it's not just the people you know, right? It could be people you don't know equally. But in addition to the empathy piece, I, I think it's also like an, an appreciation for those that do give you time, that are part of your life. And, and it's not just appreciation, you know, appreciation. It, it goes much deeper than that. Like you, you almost feel indebted to those people, even just for being your friends, you know? And, and I think that has somewhat of a self-fulfilling circling mechanism where it just builds stronger relationships with others. The last thing I'll say is that I actually attribute a lot of my success early on to like this piece is I feel like I gained a really strong awareness early in my life about how fast time goes by and how fleeting good times can be. And I think that is a big issue for a lot of people because it's always like, yeah, I'll do this later. I'll do this when I'm ready. But that awareness that we don't have a lot of time to achieve the goals that we want to achieve. There's never going to be a right time to do something and you're never going to feel ready to do something big, right? But fortunately or unfortunately, you know, the things I went through, it really, it really showed me personally, that sometimes you just got to do it. Mm -hmm. So you kind of fast forward, you know, like I did the traditional finance education stuff. Frankly, you know, again, growing up without a, a lot of guidance, I kind of fell into it. I went to college. I went to Florida State University. I didn't go there with a purpose necessarily. I love the idea of investing. I loved real estate. I loved stocks. I loved all kinds of different types of investments. So finance was kind of like a good option for me at the time. After that, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So I actually studied for the LSAT. I got into some really great schools and uh, literally at the you know, 11th hour, I had a moment to myself and just realized that that was not what I wanted to do. And amazingly, I walked into my finance chair, name's Dr. Chris Jansen at Florida State. I'm not even sure if he's there anymore. But, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I walked into his office and just sat down with him for a good six hours and just begged wow. him to give me an opportunity to join the master's in finance class at Florida State. He did not have to say yes. You know, enrollment was already over. I would say that nine and a half out of 10 times for anyone, they would have said, you know, you're too late. But he gave me an opportunity when he didn't have to. And he basically said, I think this was a Thursday. <laughs> he said, All right. On Monday, go take the GMAT. I know you're not going to do as well as you normally would, but let's see how you do. And I did terribly, but <laughs> <laughs> he still gave me the opportunity to join the program. And that really set the stage, you know, for me to continue on my finance career. You take that a step further, then the CFA came into play. And the CFA for me, was really what solidified my desire to be in this industry. And I'm not just saying that because this is a CFA podcast. <laughs> At the time when I did it, I had no idea what the CFA was. I, I had a job recruiter come. They told me they weren't going to hire me, but they told me, hey, you know, you should consider doing this thing called the CFA. Even if you get through a few of it, it'll look good on your resume, yada, yada, yada. Right. And uh, yeah, so I, I did it. Uh, I, I kind of pushed through, got through it very early on, had a lot of amazing opportunities in my career very early because I had the credentials and somewhat polished working with clients and things like that, that I probably otherwise wouldn't have. Again, thinking about struggle at the time, it didn't feel like a great opportunity because my mentors, my bosses, everybody was quitting and leaving and going to other firms, which is why I had those opportunities early on. And, you know, that, that really kind of kickstarted my career at a pretty early age, at least most, you know, compared to most. So I ended up becoming a managing director at my prior firm, I think when I was 27 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. And I was super proud of that. I was super excited. But 
there's still something missing, probably a few things missing in my life that like I wasn't ultra happy with. So then that took me to California. You know, there was an opportunity to move from Miami to California through the company. I was doing a lot of equity research work. I was really kind of juggling two roles, working with high net worth clients, but also you know, working on the equity strategy side really for the entire firm. And California happened to be the home base where a lot of the analysts were. So I made that case. I got out there. And then let's call it six months later, the entire organization changed. CEO left, new CEO came in, management structure changed. So they inserted middle management in different places. And there's just a lot of people that weren't happy, including myself with some of the change. Change is hard. It always mm -hmm. is. And kind of that was my moment where I was like, ah, you know, it was kind of 10 years after I started my career. I worked my butt off to get to where I was at a snap of the finger, right? Things can change, new people come in and you kind of lose some of that credibility that you've built up for so long. Mm -hmm. And through those 10 years, of course, I talked to other firms and stuff like that. I understood. I got recruited by other firms. I just didn't see the value in leaving for a small raise um, each and every time that that happened. So I, I understood what else was out there. And frankly, there just wasn't anywhere else that I could go to where I could really, I guess, execute on the vision of what I thought would be best for the clients that I serve. So to answer your question directly now, I think there was a lot of things that kind of came into play, but there was that moment, I think, where, hey, this is a good opportunity to, to try something. And what year did you start your company? Yeah, it was at the end of 2018. And you... In the beginning, you pretty much, as you're approaching, you hit the 2020 mark. So that was when we were talking off, you know, re recording, you told me like, yeah, my height of my company start was pretty much during a pandemic, which was probably not easy for any new entrepreneur coming through. So I, I just wanted to bring that up because people forget sometimes you were just starting off and then boom, the pandemic hit for you. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and frankly, like you hear a lot of these stories of folks leaving companies to start their own firm. The the recurring stories, usually people leave together with, you know, with a team, mm -hmm. um, other advisors, support staff, thing like that, things like that. For me, it was a total leap of faith. Like I was still young in my career. I had no idea what I was doing trying to start my own firm. And frankly, I'm just so grateful and grateful is the word that a few of my clients wanted to continue to work with me. I frankly feel it would have been hard for me to make that same same decision if I were in their shoes. Mm. So again, going back to relationships, appreciation, without them, it would have been possible. And I, at that time, I gave myself this kind of mental time frame of five years. I told myself, I'm going to give myself five years to make this work. If it doesn't, then I'll try something else. But I have to at least give myself the time to see if it does work. So speaking about your company, you describe your firm as a small boutique and was this in intentional? And what would you say differentiates your approach to business than other firms? Yeah, it's absolutely intentional. And I say that with all sincerity. Now, obviously, you leave by yourself. You're, you're trying to build your firm. You're, of course, going to start small, right? And you want to lean into whatever you can lean into to build credibility for yourself and for your firm. But that is absolutely the long-term intention as well. I mean, at the end of the day, our clients are the most important thing to us. Without them, we wouldn't exist. And coming from a larger firm where you had lots of client relationships, you had lots of things to juggle, I found it challenging to prioritize my time and who I was going to spend time with. And in the world that I work in with high net worth and ultra high net worth clients, they have incredibly complex situations, life situations, trust and estate planning situations, 
various different structures, different types of investments. It's not possible in my perspective to have hundreds of relationships and really, really dial in and do great work with your clients. So in terms of the boutique small size, of course, we're going to grow over time. But the idea is, is to stay focused with a smaller group of clients and to build teams around those as we grow. In terms of what differentiates us, I think it does go back to the client thing as well, right? Like I, I think at the end of the day, we from day one set a couple goals for ourselves of who we wanted to be. We have these things called the three pillars that we really focus on. So uh, every time we make a decision, it needs to directly or indirectly improve these three pillars. And they're all, again, client-centered, but one is our investments. You'd be surprised how many investment firms out there don't necessarily focus as much on investments as they do on maybe other things. And it, it's I'm not knocking it, right? Because their financial planning and other things like that are super important as well. There, there's plenty of things that are critically important to working with clients. But for us, and because of our backgrounds, having an incredibly strong, diverse, broad um, investment platform was something that we really dialed in on from the beginning. Second is high-touch client service. We really, really, really want to be part of the client's family. I mean, our, our clients tell us information that they won't even tell their best friends. So that that trust that's so critical to have when you're working with people, you got to earn it. Right. And you've got to earn it over and over and over again. And it can take one little mistake or five minutes of just blunders or, you know, whatever it is to lose somebody's trust. Mm -hmm. So that piece is absolutely critical to what we do and how we do it. And just making our clients feel heard, seen and important is something that we talk about all the time. And the third is impact. And I think we've done a really good job of creating a framework around what impact is. I, I think in this day and age, when folks are talking about ESG and all these different things, it's become so politicized. And I think it's really, really unfortunate, but it is what it is. On our end, we've really defined what we believe is sustainability. We differentiate impact from that. We look at impact as very personal to the individual. Right. What might be impactful to you, Tanya, might be completely different, you know, in terms of what's impactful to me. Mm -hmm. And Maybe one of us has something that's impactful to ourselves, to our families, to our local communities that is counter to what's impactful to society, right? So I, I think because of our focus on our clients at the core, we can customize and tailor and do things around that for our clients that might be a little bit outside the box. As part of that too, right? And not just helping our clients and achieve all their goals, including their impact goals, whatever they may be, whether it's you know highlighting them in client portfolios, emphasizing them in different ways, or even how they give to different organizations. We wanted to kind of put our, our, our money where our mouth is, I guess you would say, right? So from day one, we committed to giving back a certain percentage of our revenues to charitable causes. We wanted to become a B Corp early on. That was a huge process that was way more than I expected, but um, we were able to achieve that. And, you know, I, I think internally helping, not just helping ourselves do good work in the community, but helping our clients at a deeper level than just saying, hey, here's this organization, give money to them. Really developing strategies, doing the research on the organizations that clients may be giving to, or helping our clients understand the risks they may be taking. They may be emphasizing, let's say, climate over maybe something like social justice. Mm -hmm. Some of those are easy to make financial, easier to make financial returns than others. So it's, it, I'd say there's a lot of education that kind of underpins our entire service offering. So to kind of summarize, you know, your, what you've learned from starting to finish, what are some key lessons you've learned and maybe would share for 
any young entrepreneurs who may be deciding to venture off on their own or who are just starting their own companies? Yeah. I mean, God, I, I, I could spend an hour with you talking about these things, right? But I, <laughs> I think the reality, right, is that there's always going to be fear. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be doubts to contend with. I think when I started Fire Capital, I was 31 years old. Again, I was by myself. I didn't know if any clients were going to want to continue to work with me. But at the same time, I convinced my wife that we should use all of our savings. I was going to quit my pretty well-paying job, give up all those stock options. And we had just moved to a new city and didn't know anybody to support me. And that was a big deal. And it sounds cliche, but A, you have to really have a really great partner who's going to support you and believe in you. And something that stuck with me when I put my, the night before I put my letter of resignation in and had this plan to do this, my wife wrote me a little note and she said a bunch of really nice things. But one thing that really stands out is, you know, you must never be afraid when you're doing what you know is right. And I was th that was exactly what I needed to hear at the moment because I was having my doubt. I was like, should I do this? Should I not? You know, how am I going to hurt you by doing this potentially? But I guess the point is, is that at some point in your life, if you want to do something amazing with it, you have to be bold. You have to take that leap of faith that may not make rational sense on a piece of paper <laughs> that might carry risks that are quite large, but right. I mean, every journey takes at least one step to get started at the end of the day. And you ultimately have to have the right partner. And, and, and I'll carry that over, not just to your, your life partner, right. But also the people you work with. Mm. I think the CEO of Databricks said something like, you know, the first 20 people that you hire are going to be the ones who set the culture for your firm going forward. Right. So the people you keep around you and again, cliche, but absolutely critical. Not everyone's going to be great at everything. But again, there, there's some core things like in our case, caring about your work, caring about your clients, wanting to do good. They, they absolutely need to be aligned and, and finding good partners. I'll say it differently. Having bad partners is probably a great way to fail. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I know, absolutely. Right. And and I, I think for me, that was also a big step because again, maybe going back to my, my childhood, I, I never wanted to do anything alone. I still don't like doing things alone. You know, like I'm not that person who's going to go to a movie and go sit there by myself and watch it. Like I want to experience things with other people always. So it, it was very tough for me to just go do this by myself. And just the fact that I did it by myself, took that leap was frankly a win, even if this didn't work out. Well, it sounds like you're on the right path. And I, I think you're beyond your five year, huh? At this point, you're six years now. So congratulations to that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, Michael, I had a great fun. And like you said, I could probably talk with you for hours, but I know your time is of an essence. So thank you so much for spending the morning with me. And we very much look forward to seeing what Fire Capital will look like in the next five years. Thanks so much, Tanya. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Join us next month for another new episode.